Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Late Show with Francie Weatherman. This morning, looking for my shoes, look behind the trunk, found the hesitation blues. Lordy, tell me how long. Lordy, tell me how long. Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? Cool. <laughs> Ooh, that's gonna be fun. Hey, 
everyone, welcome to I know hey. I know William. You there? Yep, I'm here. Tom, you there? Oh yeah, man, I come here. Yeah. How did nuts surviving? <laughs> they're not dry roasted, so they're good. <laughs> well, that's good. At least you're lucky on that yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing I had my kids we... already. <laughs> well, you, you weren't planning on having any, any more anytime soon, were you? No, 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 not okay. my age. Okay. No. Okay. I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, there will be a story about that a little bit later. And, um, Tom, I, I actually wanted to give you a saying. Um, Tom, someday you're the cat. Someday you're the cat litter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, you know what they say. Life is like a shit sandwich. Some days you get it, take a little bit, and some days you got to eat it all, you know. So. Yeah. That, you is, know isn't, you know. isn't it funny, William, that tonight we didn't have to wake Tom up? <laughs> I know, but but you have to admit though, it was fun go waking figure. him up though the past couple of weeks. Well, I can go back to sleep I if you want. I mean. <laughs> all right, you let's know. get this party started by saying, and we're going to tell you all about Tom's nuts, you know, later on throughout the show. Um, let's get it started by saying, and you know, why he was cat litter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If those of nuts, you that but, are listening you know. right now, you might be putting two and two together. All right. Never mind, you clean out the litter box tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Hey, there you go. Yeah. That That's what happened there. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to, I'm not going to say exciting because I'm going to go ahead and say it. This is a kick-ass episode here on Francie and Friends. Because we got somebody that we all admire on this show. Nick admires him. Everybody admires him. Social media admires him. Everybody loves this guy. You want to know why? Hey, why? he's a good guy. You know, he's he's a good guy. Oh yeah. He, he, you know, he 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 takes he takes time out of his busy schedule to you know talk to us and you know that's because he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. Hmm. That was a bad New York a, draw, wasn't it? That was no. probably one of the worst New York draws I've ever heard. <laughs> hey, no. I'm walking here, okay? But I walking here. You gotta give me some room, but he's not from New York anyway, so he probably thinks it might be a great one. Cause we got Joe Mo. Yeah. Oh, oh. And the sky's open, and there's a ray of sunshine. Cause he's in California. He's in California, man. He's, he's in California. Yeah, buddy. Oh. All right, I'll, I I will I will now officially drop the northern accent. How does that sound? Good idea. Works for me. Yep. Okay, I tried. I I will tell you this though. Um, 
John Link show. Uh, he's he's coming back on Friday night. Uh, this this past Friday night, we had a lot of technical issues, and you, I, and uh, well, Tom and William and I were talking right before we went live that something's going to go wrong, and we're totally shocked that nothing's going wrong right now. Mm-hmm. So we're only three good. minutes into the show, yeah. so let's let's just see what happens. Come on, don't don't teach us yet. All right, but uh, John Link is definitely coming back. Uh, we we had a lot of technical issues, but one thing that um, Edward X Young told me when he was on the show is he said, "I cannot believe." that a girl from South Carolina is actually making it in Cal... Uh-oh, I think we just found our problem. Making is uh, surviving in California. And come to think of it, I think he's right. How did I? Oh, no. It went wrong. Well, there's the screw-up. There we go. Screw up number one. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where it went. So, well, so while Francie's looking for the phone and her sanity, how's everyone doing tonight? Okay. Okay. I found what are you doing, it. Joel? So, I decided to get back to my uh, grassroots from South Carolina. And my southern draw, and uh, William, I know you know some of these terms. Yes, Tom, and yeah. we're gonna bring we're gonna bring Joe on here in a second, who is in sunny California right now, and we're gonna see if he recognizes any of these terms. Here we go, redneck talking. This is a segment I like to call redneck vocabulary, Alabama ball. Alright, let's talk about distance. If I say, hey, it's down the road a piece, that's a pretty good ways. We're talking probably five miles or more. Now, if I say over yonder, that's probably not far. It's like within the same small rural area. We got weather terms. It's raining like pouring piss out of a boot. It's raining like cow pissing on a flat rock. It's coming a toad choker out there. It's a lot of damn rain. Around here, we like to drink beer. Sometimes we get three sheets to the wind. That means drunk. Your daddy's three sheets to the wind and he's passed out in the car. He's gonna freeze to death out there. It's 20 degrees. You need to go get your uncle and help get him in the house. And my personal favorite, it's not what we say in the South, it's what I say. Light it up! This is Alabama Boss for Redneck Vocabulary. There you have it. Light it up! Let's do it. Let's do yep. it! Uh, here we go, drum roll. We're gonna bring him on. Here he comes. Are you guys ready? Yep. I'm ready to go. All right. Hey, Joe. Hey. How are you? I'm fine. You know, I'm very familiar with all those southern southern slangs because I'm from the South Pacific. There we go. <laughs> all right, all right. Come on, give us give us your best one. Um, well, I used to like you know I used to watch Beverly Hillbillies because I loved um, 
Jed most of all. And, you know, he'd say things like, you know, he'd say things like uh, well, uh, you know, stop blowing on the fur and cut to the hide. It's a long shot with a branch in the way, but we ought to take it. <laughs> yep. So, but, you know, you know, even though the even though the accent is different, it's very similar. You know, when I think of the South, I think of communities and small towns and tight family people, and that's how Hawaii was. So, while I did, may not have said it the same way, I never knew North, South, East, and West because it's an island. So people say, "Where's the library? Towards the water. Where's the shore? Towards the mountain." <laughs> that was it. Wow, that's great. Actually, you know what? I grew up here on the mainland, and I if they say go northeast, southwest, I just say, you know, turn at the gas station at the corner. <laughs> yes, I just listen to my phone now. My phone run, runs my life. It's running my life tonight. Thank you. We're back together again. This is really fun. I'm so happy to know you guys are all healthy and happy and hanging together. And I'm really, really happy to talk to you guys again after. it's been It's been over a year, so this is... This is high time we had a little party. It is. Again. Cool, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's good to catch up. Been too mm-hmm. long. And I got, I got to tell you, Joe, you were talking about the last time you were on the show. And the fact is, is every day when I go back and I look at the episodes, you being on the show, your numbers still grow every day. Oh, that makes it, me it, happy. It, I, hope it, I hope it's because we're encouraging, you know, people to join in. Uh, you know, that's my... my in the latter part of my life, that's uh, equal to my ambition to do stuff is to get other people to participate and do stuff. We talked a lot about that last show, and hopefully every time a new person, a young person, or somebody that's always wanted to do some of the things we talk about checks in, they hopefully they get inspired all over again, and we can sort of give them a little goose to, to get them going or to lighten it up. <laughs> yes. There, there, there you go. <laughs> yep. um, one, one thing I can definitely tell you from, you know, people that I have been talking to, mm-hmm. and there was this uh, young, uh, well, I, I knew him when he was in his mom's womb, and mm-hmm. I got to watch him grow up. I babysat him, <laughs> and huh. uh, you totally inspired him with he listened to wow. the show. Uh, his name is Matthew Pete. I'm hoping he's going to call in. He's kind of not doing too good right now. Well, I don't want to talk about that. That's up to him to talk about. But uh, he does well, want to call, call in. Call in. Yeah, I yeah. hope he'll call in and uh, his monster family can hopefully give him some encouragement. And, you know, I'm there for him if he wants to kick around, some, you know, some ideas and things. Over time, we're all it's fun, you know. It's a fun thing to do. It is, it is well, fun. Uh, and you know, now, now, Joe, I, I will say this much. Speaking of fun, I have I, honestly. I want to thank you because, um, you know, you know, since we last spoke, I've been uh, buried under about three different uh, projects worth of revisions, and. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while when I get too frazzled, I'll jump online just to kind of give myself uh, a, a mental break. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, the first thing that I always see that always helps on you know, making sure that that much-needed coffee break is coming is the, one of the silly pictures with the, poof, you are an A&R executive. 
Name the band and the song title. And I was just like, oh, thank God, yes, I'm that's some fun. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's another way that everybody, like, really exercises their imagination. There's some great, there's some band names that people should go in there and grab, because some of them are really, really not only funny, but they're they're really good. And, yeah, so for your for your listeners who don't know this, what I do is, I'll go through through online. I'll just go through the internet and I'll try to find the the, the most unusual or or sort of retro picture of of a band, whether it's a gospel band or rock band or whatever kind. And I'll clean it up and I'll take any title off of it and then I'll post it and ask everybody that views the page to pretend that they're a, you know they're a record company executive and they have to name the band and name the title of their hit song. So you get people really turning you know. Pretzeling their brains to come up with funniest stuff. You're all welcome to my my page is open. You know, it it uh, I I can only get a certain amount of, of uh, friends, but um, it's open to the public. So if you guys, you know, anybody out there wants to come and contribute a a goofy name, please do. I laugh all day reading those. So I I try not to read them at work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no matter how tempting it is. <laughs> And, and the thing is, is, when you post that, it's not a matter of what can I do to post something to make everybody react. The thing is, is everybody is, uh, they're following you. Yeah, you we're all, I mean, it's all a big They're following you. And how, how important do you think that social media is nowadays? It's, you know, it's a tricky thing. It's, you know, as, as deep into it as we've gotten, it changes so much every day. You know, I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole of TikTok, and it's such an interesting thing to see content, you know, what the content is, because, you know, we're all storytellers. We're all writers and storytellers. Mm-hmm. And so we take the time we need, whether it's a short story or it's a novel or if it's a script or a stage play, we take the time we need to tell the story. And then you've got something like TikTok where you've got a minute. So yep. in that minute, in that minute, there's going to be people not only trying to tell stories, but they're they're competing for eyeballs. So, you know, sometimes we get left in the dust because we may want to tell a narrative story or say, hey, what about this? While other people are flexing or in bikinis or you know making big political statements and stuff like that. So it's it's a real interesting world. But as far as social media goes, I still find that it is a a way for people to. I mean, I'm. I'm friends with people that I went to, to elementary school with. I'm friends with people that, you know, I haven't seen in person for 40 years. So it, it is a really great social tool. It's just tricky to negotiate as it changes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that because there's people that I didn't think that I would get back in touch with. I thought they were gone, and then I'm, like, Googling or Facebooking their name, and it's like, oh, my gosh, there they are. Yep. And they're like, yep, it's how are you doing today? And I'm like, oh. And people are so nice. They're so nice. You know, but but that's so- yeah, one of the that, that that's always one of the best things about it is when you when you have that reunion and the reconnection mm-hmm. and uh you know it makes it all the more worthwhile. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, also, you're just totally shocked that they remember you, and it's like, you remember me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, we forget. I mean, 
I don't do that. Much. I mean, I try. I'm like everybody else. I'm older than a lot of fans that are that are making stuff, but I'm, you know, I haven't done as much as many people. But it's funny how people will see, you know, now that now that media is so accessible, I'll get a call from a friend who I haven't seen since they were nine years old, saying, "Oh, I saw you in this documentary about Corey Ackerman or something." And I, I don't even remember doing it, but they said. You know, plus I have the name Joe Mo, so it's kind of hard to lose track of me. But you know, they'll 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 contact me and say, "Was that you?" And you know, and we start talking about our lives, and it you know, it's real interesting. Uh, that that kid, you know, was at a, a time in my life where it wasn't the happiest time, but being friends with him and the kids in the neighborhood was a really happy time. So it kind of was bittersweet. It it opened up a can of worms about the tough things we were the family was going through at the time, but. It also opened up uh, the same, you know, another can of worms that that reminded me of how open and resilient and able young people can be to make happiness even in the shadows, you know. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yep. Uh, I, uh, Nick's trying. Nick's trying to call in. Huge fan of yours, by the way. Yay! Yay! Yeah, I was just out there with him and. Okay, uh, Joe, uh, the, why we're trying to get Nick on, your greatest accomplishment. I mean, you you come from a long line of mm-hmm. a long yeah, line of great uh, people in your life. I mean, yeah, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. I came, you know, I came from a showbiz family which kind of um sort of gave me an understanding that a lot of people have to, you know, take a long time to learn through experience being, you know, in the industry. But coming from that family where my father, you know, he was just like, my father was a stage performer and he was, you know, vaudeville with his, with his parents. My grandparents were in vaudeville. So dad always felt, and he was very well known in Hawaii in his, in his prime. He always felt like everybody was a tribe of entertainers. So he never, he never had that partition that we sometimes feel when we were in, when encountering celebrities. So as a kid, my dad would just throw me on somebody's lap. Like, I, you know, if, if we were in a coffee shop and he had to go to the bathroom or something, he'd, you know, I remember this from being, I must've been four or five. And he'd say, Oh, Mr. Benny, could you watch Joey for a minute? He put me on Jack Benny's lap on the counter and just go off to the bathroom. And here, you know, oh, wow. a kid with, I mean, you know, stuff like that. And, and, you know, he, 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 you know, he knew so many people in the entertainment business. He'd grown up. You know, his grand, you know, his father, my grandfather was friends with Laurel and Hardy. And I think his best friend was Terry Thomas. And, you know, so I came from that line. So when I came to the mainland, even though I didn't have a lot of resources and I had to struggle finding my way into the industry and still am, you know, um, I kind of was primed to become really good friends with Forrest Ackerman, who we've talked about a lot. Um, I, I kind of understood how to help him while staying in the background. I kind of understood how. It would be my time one day, but right now it was about Tori, and so every everything we did was going to be about him. I, it was not going to be about do do I get to have a conversation with Steven Spielberg? No, it's, this is Tori's you know Tori's spotlight, and so that's why I was so successful with him, and I think that's why I've been successful in gaining the trust of of other very talented people that I've been so privileged to work with and to know, you know. So th- I think that that's uh, you know that's. That, that's where I come from, and I think the greatest accomplishments, I, I have a set of personal accomplishments, but looking after Forey Ackerman, who was so important to so many people that couldn't do it, 
because they didn't have the resources, the time, they weren't in the right city, or they were bigwigs making gigantic movies, but they loved them as much as me. That was a, that's a pretty big accomplishment, you know. That's a, that, a you know overall life accomplishment. I, I really was able to keep him alive probably five or six years longer than he would have been if I hadn't been by his side, and um, you know, and gave him some some great quality of life in his final years. So that's uh, you know. I, I, that's that's a, a beautiful thing that I that I treasure, you know. Aside from my own personal accomplishments. Yeah, and, I mean, and that's why and Nick definitely wanted to talk to you about Forest Ackerman, and that's why it's really important that Nick calls in right now because he wanted to talk to you about all that. Well, <laughs> hey, Francie, I got some questions about I got some questions about Forey. Sure. Uh, all right. Yeah, because um, I was a big fan. I was a kid. I had Famous Monsters of Filmland books all over. Mm-hmm. I loved that magazine. It was just I was, I, a, I was a kid that loved monster movies. I still do love it. I had some great mm-hmm. memories. I mean, my two the two copies I think I cherished most were the um, the Giants from Japan issue with uh, kind of a cartoon Godzilla and Rodan on it in the middle. I think early seventies, middle seventies, mm-hmm. and another one was the tribute to Boris Karloff when he died in sixty nine. Yeah. And I had those copies for years. I think that and was the I, I just thought Corey did a great service to all of us fans. Do you have a favorite magazine from that? What, what famous sponsor of film? And do you own any funny stories, Forrest Stackerman stories, Forrest? I have many. I have many. And, and, and your listeners, if we ever meet on the street, which I hope will happen, or at one of these shows, a Days of the Dead convention or Monster Palooza or one of these other shows, um, and you have any questions about Forrey, Forrey taught me... That, that it was best to tell the truth, and that meant warts and all. And uh-huh. that was the fascinating thing about Corey. If you asked him any question, you know, he, he would tell you the truth, even if it shocked you. And, you know, the, the kinds of things he would say. For example, you know, after a whole day of people asking about Bela Lugosi, we'd be driving down to the House of Pies from his big 18-room mansion full of, you know, chock full from floor to ceiling with, memorabilia and things you've seen in every single horror movie you've ever loved props books mm-hmm. you name it um we'd be driving down the hill with some fans and they'd be going through all the Lugosi questions and i could tell for was getting a little exhausted he was happy to answer so i just blurt out something like have you ever been to jail just out of nowhere and he goes well as a matter of fact i have and then he'd tell you a story you know so he would tell you anything he'd tell you anything you asked him so my favorite story about for are the are the behind the scenes things, you know, the things where uh-huh. he talked about his feelings and, you know, because uh, I wanted to learn learn about where he came from. We all know we sort of come from Forey in a strange way, you know? and and I wanted to know where he came from. And he, you know, his story was very interesting. You know, his father would, didn't approve of his love of sci-fi, and and Forey had a, a very very sporty, tall, handsome brother named Alden, who his father really you know, favored. In fact, when Alden died in the Battle of the Bulge during the war, uh, Forey's father made it clear that he'd wished it had been Forey. So that was the kind of old school relationship Forey had with his dad. So it, it, it was oh, a wow. thing. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we think of Forey as this lighthearted, you know, um, you know, benign storyteller, but, you know, Forey really had to invent himself out of some pretty um, adverse, you know, times and, and, and dealing with some pretty, you know, 
pretty incredibly deep feelings. I mean, his brother was his advocate, and his brother planned to make a bookstore with Forey because they loved sci-fi and books so much. They were going to make a bookstore together, but didn't live. So Forey was kind of on his own. And so I always liked those behind-the-scenes stories. But I'm sure your listeners would rather hear stories about um, our horror heritage, of which there are many. So maybe I should ask you, like, if there are any... Uh, friends of Forey's that you know, famous friends of Forey's who you're curious about, be it Vincent Price or Bela Lugosi or Boris Karloff or Peter Cushing, you name it, and we can talk about them. You know, he's, he's told so many stories about all those relationships. How Did about, he ever uh, have a relationship with, like, Christopher Lee and Vincent Price? Chris, Vincent Price and he were very good friends. In fact, as they got older, they started looking more and more like each other. So Forey used to joke um, about, you know, as, as they got older, he said, yeah, I've been, I've been, it's been said that I'm a Vincent Price lookalike, so uh, when Vincent is too expensive, they can have me for a half price. That was his gag. And he never got tired of telling the story. You know, Forey's uh, great-grandfather, Cridland was the name, photographed Abraham Lincoln in, a, in, a, in this beautiful red upholstered carved ornate chair that Forey kept in his house and he had a great story um this the the daughter of an artist a little girl named jasmine brzezinski who was about i think nine years old was just loved Forey and loved monsters and so one day she came into the the room where the chair was and and she said oh that's a pretty chair uncle Forey." and he said well jasmine my great-grandfather um you know photographed abraham lincoln in that chair. Do you know who Abraham Lincoln was? And she said, well, no, Forey, I'm, I'm only nine years old. I, I don't know who that is. And he said, well, look at this. And he pulled the penny out of his pocket, and he held out the penny with the silhouette on it. He said, do you know who that is? And she said, Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> but Vincent, cool. uh, Vincent was a good friend of Forey's and gave, gave Forey his final autograph. Before he, before he had a, you know, like to ask all of his friends, and in all fairness, although it sounds morbid, he offered to give his to a friend, you know, but he, you know, and Vincent wrote my last autograph on a piece of paper, and before he had that day, he died, and um, yeah, they, they, they were good pals, and uh, Christopher Lee, not as close, but um, he, uh, there, there was quite a uh, embarrassing situation for Corey. When, when Christopher Lee made one of his first trips here with his family to Hollywood, before he rolled out the red carpet, he took the daughters to Disneyland, took them to dinner, and he really showed them, you know, he really showed them a great, you know, gracious time. And um, they became, you know, very friendly. Well, it turns out during, you may remember in, <clears throat> in the pages of FM, there was a time when Chris Lee wasn't well. And... Yep. Uh, you know, for mm-hmm. for yeah. said in the magazine, you know, we're all hoping that that the great count will be, you know, some nice tribute. Well, all of a sudden, you know, the next time Forey uh, saw Christopher Lee was at a party, and Forey was walking towards him, and Christopher Lee sort of found the highest point in the room, and stood atop this little platform, and said, "Ackerman, I have a bone to pick." And Forey said, "Oh, well, what is what is it, Christopher?" He said, You've given my address to all of these fans and sending all of these letters to me, unwanted, and it's, I'm inundated. And he was just, he read him the right act in front of a whole room of people. 
and Corey was oh. terribly embarrassed. Well, it turns out that Dr. Donald Reed, who was the president of the Contractual Society, confessed to Corey mm-hmm. later. He said, oh, Corey, I'm so sorry. I did that. I thought it would be nice for them things, but Christopher Lee and Tori's relationship never really, you know, got back on track. Um, you know, Christopher Lee really kind of, he'd made up his mind and didn't really want to hear it at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, I know they saw each other again in Crystal City, Virginia at um, at a horror convention because I was there. That was the only time I met Christopher Lee. And um, he was very gracious to Tori and said, oh, yes, Ackerman, it's so good to see you and blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, there's a tape somebody has of that that meeting. Later, when Corey's walking away, Christopher Leon, you see him on camera say, that's that Ackerman. He's a lovely fellow. Strange. Strange. What a nice fellow. <laughs> it seems like Christopher Lee would be a guy you wouldn't want to mess with, though. He, I mean, because I heard about his military record and stuff, and, you know, the story about him yeah. describing on film about the director, how, to, how somebody died when they were being stabbed with a knife and stuff. So, hmm. I mean, wasn't he with yeah. the British Circuit SAS or something like that? Or yeah, he, service he, he was a service. giant. You know, if he hadn't been, I, he was, you know. And he was like 6'4 to begin with. Uh, yeah. I, I will tell you, I almost got to touch the grace. Uh, and, Nick, you're live right now. Uh, I, and Nick can vouch for this. And, Nick. He only said that he can kick me twice is when this guy was saying, we'll make that roasted chicken. Then I read an email. I had a guest that was not participating, and I couldn't get him on the show. And I hung up on the show, and the next morning, uh, David Madison called me up, and he said, why did you not pick up my call on the switchboard? And I said, I didn't see it because I was running back and forth trying to get this one guest on the show. He goes, I had Sir Christopher Lee sitting next to me who would have done the interview. And I told Nick that. He goes, I could kick you right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I told her that, too. Every once in a while, that's that's kind of, between me and Francie, that's kind of like a running gag because, like there's this one time that uh, we went to this big liquor store, and it was mm-hmm. like a like a mini market slash liquor store slash uh, roasted chicken place, and I hardly mm-hmm. ever see roasted chicken anymore, and um, mm-hmm. and so uh, we were we were gonna wait because they they had to like what was it, Francie? I forgot. A roasted Francie. chicken. Yeah, no, I know, but. Um, uh, they they couldn't make any more, or they were, oh, but yeah, we were going to have to like wait. They already cleaned everything more. out. They already cleaned it all oh. up, and they weren't. They didn't have any more. Yeah, so we. I was so I was really disappointed. So uh, when we went back out to the car in the parking lot, I I told her I could just kick you. So ever since then, it's a running gag. Batch of roasted chicken, and I said no. Because I worked in the service, I worked in the service industry. He'd have to clean everything mm-hmm. back up. I wonder what it was. <laughs> a broaster sounds yeah. pretty sci-fi. I'd like to see what that looks like. <laughs> so, brought, brought Marky by for the makers of To the Mood, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is I, my dad, uh, my parents used to take me to a place called Nick's, <laughs> Nick's Roasted Chicken. 
and the chicken was different from like regular like KFC and stuff. Um, and uh, so but the, those kind of places are hard to find. So I, I always wanted to, to, to like get some roast, real roasted chicken sometime. <laughs> in the in the valley, I don't know if it's still there. The lamplighter was the place, and oddly enough, the person that took me to the lamplighter was an actress named Carol Ann Susie, a very dear and sadly departed friend of mine, who not only was uh, played Miss Marmelstein on The Night Stalker with Darren McGavin, but she's been That's in where I heard stuff. That's from. And, yeah, and you laugh to yeah. remember her because she was she was um, Howard's mother on The Big Bang Theory. That was Carol Ann. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. She, she was incredible, and she, you know, and I would get her goat, man. I, she had a great sense of humor. But if I, if I got, you know, if I got her goat, I could go forever, you know. Like when she took us to roasted chicken, she would, she, she loved food like I do, and she was, we're going to get roasted chicken. I said, what's roasted? It's just roasted. Just eat it. It's good. And so through the whole dinner, of course, there was. Now, when you say roasted, shut, shut the hell up, will you? You know, she was doing that. And my favorite thing was. When you're with Carol Ann, my favorite thing is she'd order, you know, and she's the Big Bang Theory is like one of the top three shows, right? That voice is, you was on a lot of episodes. And so we go to dinner or something and she goes, yeah, I'm just going to have an iced tea and, uh, you know, I'll have a, just a pastrami sandwich. And they'd go, you're, you're, you're Mrs. Wallowitz. She goes, yeah, I am. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. They walk away. She turned to me. How do they know? You know, it's a in your throat. You know, Now, now, Joe, um, go back to some of Forey's friends. Uh, what, what was uh-huh. it? How, you know, I, I don't. I, I saw it on your uh, page one time, but what, what was it like hanging out with Ray Harryhausen? Yeah. Ray Harryhausen, I I joke I I loved Ray and I loved Diana his wife. Um, when when Ray and Forey were being inundated by fans at conventions or whatever, and of course they did a bunch together. I would always kind of you know Diana would go out and smoke sometimes, and I just go sit and talk to her about what was going on because uh, you know I could tell she was really observant. She just watched everything, and you know there's always the people behind the scenes that fascinate me. But you know Ray was very he was such a He's so funny, you know, had this kind of voice that was, you know, and I always laugh because, you know, I thought about stop motion animation and how he's, you know, of Bradbury and Forey, he was the slowest talker, you know, well, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of voice. But with Ray, you know, those guys were always so, so inundated by people. But I do know the one, you know, with Ray Bradbury, who I saw a lot, and Mary Housen, who I saw a lot, there were two times I remember um, with Ray Harryhausen. It was probably the, I think it was maybe the 100th anniversary of King Kong at Monster Bash in Pennsylvania, and Corey and Ray and Diana and I were there. And um, as much as I, you know, as I said in the beginning of the show, you know, it was always about Forey because he was the star and it was his thing. You know, if I was doing something, I would expect the people to push me out front and let me, you know, meet people and say hi and, you know, to my fellow, fellow fans and, you know, people that I talk to online that I'm, you know, so happy to get to meet in person finally. But... Or, you know, this is Forey's show, and I'm, you know, I may be 6'4", you know, but, you know, I'm going to be the, the, the biggest lurker you ever met. I'm going to make myself invisible. So even though I was with them a lot and I'd have conversations, I didn't really get one-on-one time the way that I would if it was just my life, you know. So there were times, um, I remember Forey and I and Ray and Diana went to dinner 
in an outback steakhouse they just opened next to the convention center in Pennsylvania where we were doing Monster Bash. And I was sitting there, and I was thinking, you know, here I am now. Corey's occupied with eating. Dan is outside. Um, you know, I'm here with Ray. What, you know, what do I want to say? These, these, these opportunities don't come that often. And I thought, I know. And so I turned to Ray. I said, Ray, yes. I bet I know what your favorite part I bet I know what your favorite part of production was. Oh, do you? Oh, what, what was that? And I said, location scouting. And he went nuts. He went, oh, I knew I was going to be in a room for four months playing with dolls. And I, when I, I was in Malta, and he started telling me about all the places he traveled and all the things he saw and not, you know, how much he loved sunshine and, you know, I, and how he loved, you know, taking pictures. It, it was a great conversation about, you know, something that he obviously didn't get to talk to, talk about a lot, but being from Hawaii and knowing how much people love, you know, coming to the, to the tropics and coming to, you know, these exotic places, I kind of, I kind of took a shot and struck a nerve and we had a great conversation. And that conversation ended when I think, you know, Corey realized that he wasn't getting any attention at all. So he started animating his crab leg and that sort of drew our attention back. To <laughs> so well, that well, was that's one way to do it. And, <laughs> then the, yeah. the, the last memory, you know, the last time I saw Ray, Ray I think, was at um, uh, a Comic-Con, you know. And this was, you know, this was in about the two or three years before Forey left us, and, and everybody was older. And I knew this because for the first time that I'd known, you know, of all, the, all of them, Ray Harryhausen was the youngest, and he was the, the hailest. Again, tall guy, my height. You know, and I had to I had to take his arm and help him on stage because he was a little bit wobbly. And I thought, these guys, you know, my heroes are really getting old. And and um, it was just endearing. You know, they were all in wheelchairs by then, sitting on the stage, and taking turns dozing off while the other ones spoke. <laughs> hey Joe, did did Forey have a favorite type of movie or genre in horror or sci-fi or I mean? Forey, yes, Forey was a sci-fi guy. I mean, remember Forey was, you know, there at the beginning of, of you know, well, there was C.P. Wells, there were other sci-fi writers, but Forey was in the beginning of pop, the popular surge in sci-fi. So Forey was there, you know, Forey had a correspondence with, with H.P. Um, Lovecraft, and Forey saw H.P. Wells speak. And, um, you know, he, he was just really into it. And so Forey was sort of the Pied Piper of sci-fi. And he would, you know, he would encourage people to write. He would sponsor newsletters. He was sort of at the forefront of fandom. And remember, yeah. back then, fandom were people named A.E. Van Vogt and people named, you know, Heinlein and people named, um, you know, uh, um, um, Ray Bradbury, who was, a, you know, what, a 14-year-old boy selling papers making a day. You know, in the street, very poor, and Corey saying, mm-hmm. "This precocious kid who loved sci-fi, I'll I'll pay for you to come to the to lock to the science fiction club." And you know, Corey sort of facilitating everybody around the country and sending stories through through you know through um, news news scenes and fanzines, then ultimately agenting them, you know, and selling their first you know people's first stories to to Argosy and to the pulps, you know, and, and making friends with everybody. So he was really influential as, as a facilitator of great artists who exceeded him in their, you know, their accomplishments as writers, but 
you know, Ray Bradbury has said without if there was no Cory Ackerman, there would be no Ray Bradbury. So, you know, and that's how Famous Monster came through in this evolution. James Warren met Cory in New York. Cory come back from France and had this Cinema 57 French magazine with monster pictures. And Warren said, oh, well, thanks for the idea. I'm going to make a monster magazine. Realized that all the pictures, you know, all the pictures were in France in different collectors' collections. And when he called Forey, Forey said, well, I have all of these. So he said, well, let's do this. And that's how that happened. And before you know it, Jim is sitting across the table from Forey um, with all of Forey's stills. And Forey's typing stuff in the typewriter. And Jim is giving him ideas and holding up a little sign that says, Forey Ackerman, I am, you know, 14-year-old boy, I am your reader, make me laugh. And the rest is history. And I think that that's one of the things that makes Famous Monsters so endearing. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just Forey interacting with his fans. And you you, you can tell mm-hmm. just, just from the responses just how genuine the man was. And, you know, that, 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 that's what I think, you know, for, you know, just speaking for myself as a young and inspiring writer, that's, you know, that that really, really, really led so, so many levels of inspiration over the years. So, you know, without he was never, a doubt. He was never ashamed of being a fan. No matter how big Corey got, he was always a fan first. And, and so he knew what it felt like for young fans to have their name in his magazine. He knew what it felt like when Walt Disney walked into the Snow White Cafe on Hollywood Boulevard. He knew that he was the ears for the fans, and he went up to Disney and said, uh, Mr. Oh. Disney, I'm the editor of Famous Monsters Magazine, and he probably had a copy under his arm. He carried them everywhere. And I was working, Bela Lugosi was a model for your Chernabog in, in Fantasia. And, oh, yes, Mr. Ackerman, we, you know, we brought him in for some, you know, he, he was there for us all the time because he knew, he knew what he loved was what we loved, and he knew what made us tick and happy and that we would feel Really important. The more we were a part of it all, you know. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yeah, he. I mean, he was like the fan of fans. I mean, he was like our fan that was showing our how our how we loved uh, horror mm-hmm. and sci-fi and that and the classic horror and stuff. What do you think Forey would have thought of some of the more, I guess, the more bloodier, um, more graphic violence and stuff in the horror genre. What do you think you would have thought? What do you think of that? Do you think it's necessary or just an actual growth function of it? As an older person, I think he missed the the elements of story that that he tried to teach everybody, you know, the sympathetic monster, you know, the literature that literature that gave birth to these, uh, these movies about these, you know, monsters, whether it's, you know, Frankenstein's monster, which, you know, he always considered a science fiction movie, and sort of King Kong, he always considered sort of a science fiction movie. So, even though for he loved monsters, sci-fi first love, but you know, I, I do know he he didn't he didn't think that it was as profound as as the kind of horror that he'd grown up watching and that he you know he'd sort of advocated for. But he accepted it, and he understood that it came from what he began in a way. So he was, you know, he was proud of all of his kids, whether it's Tom Savini, you know, uh, or, you mm-hmm. know, the late Charles Balin, all these people that that really were aficionados of, of you know, splatter and stuff. He, he understood that, that 
that there was room for everybody and that they came from there. But for his personal taste, um, I don't think he enjoyed it a lot. Mm. He was more into the suspense. I'm kind of old school that way. I prefer suspense. You know, mm-hmm. I know that you're going to have some of that, and it's kind of necessary, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of more of the Hitchcock-type psycho murder where I don't have to see, always see a decapitated head, but I know sometimes it doesn't yeah. serve its purpose. You know, but, you know, I took him to see Starship Troopers. It was pretty bloody, and he loved it. I mean, so it wasn't just, I think it was mm-hmm. gratuitous gore, but like in the context of a, of a war movie, a sci-fi movie that's, that's like you know, a battle like that, he just, you know, he was astounded. We, we went in blind, not knowing how, how mm-hmm. it was going to be. He came out slightly. There were a few movies that would surprise you that did that, that. One of them was Fargo. He just was blown away by Fargo and thought it was just so engrossing. And also Spring Blade. Wow. Which is okay. interesting since, since Billy Bob was such a fan and, uh, and considered, mm-hmm. you know, his characters for Frankenstein monsters. An interesting connection. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Did you hey, guys hey, hear Joe. me? Oh. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, hey, yeah, hey, Joe, I, I was... Uh, uh, wondering um, uh, uh, about um, Forey's um, interactions with uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Was was he a fan of his? Speaking of gore and everything. Um, you know, he. I know he met him. I don't think they had much of a relationship. Forey was kind of, you know, it, it, I don't know H.G. Lewis. Um, I, 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 you know, I know a lot of him. I've seen all of his work and, you know, but, but I do know that Corey was, you know, we got to remember one thing about Corey, and that is that he was painfully shy his entire life. And then he found things like puns to open the door and wed, wed your shoe in and, and use, you know, humor and storytelling to kind of, you know, dispense information, even though he was really, you know, pretty, pretty frightened. I mean, his first trip to New York City ever to go to the uh, World Science Fiction Convention when he was probably 20 or 21, he nearly got off the train six times to come home because he was afraid someone was going to make him speak. So he was always <laughs> kind of that way. So with people like that who were particularly body and, and you know, like that, I, I don't think Corey gravitated towards them. He wasn't a judgmental person because he was, a, you, know, a potent, you know, an aspiring citizen of utopia. But, um, you know, it wasn't really his cup of tea, just like Ed Wood. He said, you know, when I asked him about Ed Wood, he said, well, you know, I helped him as much as I could. But really, for me, Ed, Ed was just a drunken voice on the, end of, on the other end of the phone at 2 in the morning. You know, he'd call out of, out of the blue. Wow. Or because one of the movies would be, or, you know, he'd call and tell Forey that, that Leonard Glender or something was on TV. And, you know, Forey would talk to him for half an hour or so. And, uh, you know, he called himself Ed Wood's illiterate. <laughs> Boy, how they yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. one way to describe them, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm a big Edward fan. My my friends and I made a documentary called uh, Clan Saucers of Hollywood in the late eighties, I think it was, and we learned so much about Plan Nine, we just uh, you know, I just fell in love with the whole True. We met a lot of those people while they were still alive, you know. Oh my gosh! Speaking of Plan Nine from outer space, mm-hmm. we used to prank call Conrad Brooks. Connie, yep. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, we used to prank him. He would be sound asleep. I would. We would be live on the show. There's been several <laughs> times that we would prank Conrad Brooks. And I thought mm-hmm. that he hated us for it, but I talked to Edward X. Young, and he said, did you know that Conrad was always happy whenever you pranked him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he loved the and He was a go-getter. He, he, he's such a nice guy. I always have to say, uh, Conrad, uh, you're live on the radio. He goes, oh, so I'm not dead yet? <laughs> nope. He never remembered anybody's name, so he called them Pally. Hey, Pally, how are you, Pally? And I remember Conrad when we did our interview with him for that documentary. Um, we were at, near the Gold Diggers Club where they filmed. The little studio where they filmed Plan 9 was still there. It was like a warehouse now, but it was still there. And we went in there with him, and I think they found pieces of the curtain. The back pretty weird. And, uh, you know, they'd say action, and Conrad would go, yeah, so it was right next to the Gold Diggers, the Gold Diggers Hotel, and a, a lot of actresses lived there. And we'd go, oh, yeah, what, what kind of actresses? And he'd go, oh, you know, just fit part players, you know, just, you know, not contract players, but just fit parts. And we'd say, well, like, would there be anybody, you know, what kind of actresses? Well, you know, just extras and blah, 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 blah. And we'd go, cut. And he'd say, hookers. Of course, once the camera was cut. <laughs> yeah, that's cut. <laughs> What was also funny is when I called him when we weren't on the show and I'd, I'd, I'd apologize the next morning and he's like, no apologies, man. That was fun. Stop calling me so late at night. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on the West Coast now. You're on the East Coast. I, you know, I always play dumb. I, I keep forgetting about that three hours. <laughs> Yeah. Time for him, and he's like, "Yeah, so you want to buy a VHS for a dollar?" I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh yeah, he was always selling stuff. He was so funny. He was always selling stuff. <laughs> I I did I did not want to say it. You're right. And in fact, uh, John, uh, one of my first co-hosts, uh, he said, "I'll give you Conrad's book's number, but don't you give him a dollar." Yeah, I used to see him on the street, and he tried to sell me that Sea Monster, you know, show that he did. He said, "Here, you you got to buy this. It's, it's cheap. You know, you can have it. I'll give you a discount." Conrad, I've bought three of them. Well, I'll give, you must have a friend that needs it. You know. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. One more, just in case. <laughs> yes, just give me a dollar, man. I miss him. I miss him. You know, those guys were were really freaky great people. Paul Marco. You know, I had a friendship with him for a while, and I knew Myla Nermi. I'd go down to the McDonald's here on Hollywood, and, and uh, where Hollywood turns into Sunset, and she'd have her breakfast there almost every day. I'd go in and sit and talk, and she's just so, so open and such a such a intellect. And just, you know, it was, it, was, it was a great time back then when some of our, you know, old-timers were still around and, and accessible and, you know. Yeah, you know the really the really cool thing. Uh, oh, by the way, um, I just got a message from Chuck Chapman, who's going to be a guest on the show. He's messaging me on Facebook right now. He says, "I don't want to interrupt Joe's great stories, 
but tell him I love him and look forward to seeing him at Days of the Dead. Yes, I love Chuck. You know what? He's he's like a success story, man. He's one of those people that, you know, that uh, I think, uh, Nicholas, we, we published we published his first short story, right? And then you uh, yeah. published his novel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, he did. Uh, his Charles Manson novel, Family Man, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And he just came out with a music CD, too. Yep. He's the most multi-talented guy, and he's good at everything he does, and he's just such a definitely a brother. And uh, that, that's been one of the nice experiences, Nicholas, about what we've endeavored to do with these with these um, anthologies, fanthologies. It really has done what we hoped. It's really given people a, a, a platform. It's introduced people to other fellow writers. It's, it's inspired people to follow their ambition. And look, I mean, you, we created a novelist from a short story, and that's, that's what it's all about, and, and a good one, you know. So Now, not that Chuck wasn't already writing that stuff, but, I mean, uh, I'm glad that we, for our part in, in giving him a, a platform and the ability to, to actually be heard, seen and heard, you know, in print. And that's that's you, Nicholas. So thank you. So would yeah, would, would you? More to it. I'm, I'm publishing another book of his uh, uh, mm-hmm. this September. In fact, fantastic. He's turning into so, yeah. our, our Stephen King. He's going to be prolific. Me, I can't. It takes I, me a week to write a, 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 a shopping list. All right, so Chuck's <laughs> listening, uh, Joe, and I said I'm telling him. Um, would you like for Chuck to call in and say hi to you? Of course. I mean, there's no interruption. He's family, and you know, he's a, he's a, he's a exactly the person that we that we hope to to meet. I mean, I knew Chuck before that, but but I mean, that it worked out the way that it did, and that he's in print and has more on the way is, I mean, that's that that is the biggest success you know, we could, we could have and, and making sure, I mean, there's more stuff for us, right? I mean, it's on my reading list. It's sitting in my, in my bedroom where it is the next thing I get to read when I get finished with all my work. So, um, no, it's cool. kind of selfish. I, I need more stuff. So we, we got him live. Joe. Hi, Joe. Joe Mo, how are, how are you, my friend? I'm great. It's so good to hear your voice. I have missed you. I mean, this pandemic has really done its best to keep us apart, but it, I have a feeling it's failed. We shall be together it, again it soon. It has definitely failed. We will be together again <laughs> soon, I'm sure. Days of the Dead, I will be there, and this time you will be yep. there, and everything will be yep. wonderful. It will be. We'll get these anthologies, anthologies back up, and we'll need, you know, you'll, you'll have to be our poster child for, you know, what can happen if you... If you I, just, said, uh, I don't think I qualify to be in them anymore. It's the only problem. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Now, 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 Joe, Joe, uh, Chuck mm-hmm. called in on to you this week. We got Chuck next week, so will Joe call in to say hi to of Chuck course. next week? There we of go. Course. I'm always That's there the big guys, question. you know. 
I just, you know, I just uh, get so excited. And you know what they say about us writers, you know, we, we, we don't get out a lot. So when somebody puts a microphone or a phone in front of us or a group of strangers, we can't shut the, the hell up. So. <laughs> That's right. I love interviewing writers. Nick was my first writer, and I'm like, keep talking, buddy. You got this. I'm he never left. He never left. He stayed with you. Yes, writers don't shut up once we get talking about our subject matter. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I mean, Joe's stories yeah. are so amazing. I don't want to take away. We don't even need stories. I want to sit back and listen to Joe's stories. But I just want do you to have any questions, Chuck? Hey, Chuck, who are, who are some of your favorites that I could, I could might have a little anecdote about one of Corey's old horror friends? Anybody of interest, particularly that you uh, like? Wow, I met we. You've already dealt with so many. You know, honestly, the thing that threw me is how did I not know about the Snuffleupagus? Oh, me and Snuffleupagus? <laughs> oh my! Yeah. You know what? You know what? I'm an old. I'm an old man, kiddos, and all of you, all of you young readers out there, I want you to know, you're do if you're if you're holding a boom mic, picking up trash on a set. Um, learning to be scripty, one of the most terrifying jobs in the business. You know, if you're doing all that, you're doing it the right way. Because all of us that don't have the resources to go to to go to Harvard, Harvard or USC Film School, that's the only way to do it. You know, that's the only way to do it. You got to get in there. And for me, before I got out of high school, a friend of mine introduced me to one of the Muppet makers. His name was Kermit Love, who Kermit the Frog is named after, and he was this, nice. this old, old bearded man that looked like Santa Claus. And he's responsible for building Snuffleupagus, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, um, Grover. <laughs> he, he, he created a lot of those muppets. And he would come to Hawaii and teach a class in the summertime. A friend of mine had gone to that oh, class. I was, I was only 16, I think. But they accepted me, and I studied with Kermit for a couple of summers. And the first summer, no, it must have been the second summer, they, they were shooting an episode of Sesame Street in Hawaii, probably because Kermit was there teaching. But um, they were refurbishing Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. Just by point of information, Big Bird's eyes were made of leg pantyhose containers. That was what he was <laughs> Oh, wow. So they were refurbishing everything. So the, the press came and they wanted to do a shoot of the Snuffleupagus um, costume puppet. Um, which was hanging in the it was hanging in the rafters of the theater at the University of Hawaii, and so Kermit said, "Well, do you want to be do you want to be Snuffy?" And I said, "Are you kidding?" And he said, "Well, all right, then we need a second person." And I said, "I'm the front. I want to be the front half." <laughs> so I, I basically got to, I got to operate the front half of Snuffy, and basically, it you know you can imagine the shape of Snuffleupagus when you're looking at him on TV. Inside of his nose was a wicker cane, just like Charlie Chaplin's cane. And so what oh, he had wow. was he had a cane that operated his nose and swung it back and forth. But then you had to, to – that was with your right hand. Your left hand could fit like, a, like in an oven mitt in the, in the mouth. So your thumb would be in the lower jaw and your hand would be in the upper jaw to make him talk. But then you'd have to switch between that hand and you'd have to reach up where the, where the eyes were and there was a bar that came out from the eyes with a rod across it that had fishing wire on it. And if you grabbed it and you went and you pulled it from side to side, the eyes would turn. And if you pulled it down, it would bat its eyelashes. So it was sort of a, oh, a, it was wow. sort of a negotiation between keeping the trunk going 
and then operating the eyes and the mouth intermittently. Now, I didn't have to learn to do that much because it was a still photograph of the newspaper. But um, the feet, the feet were clogged shoes that, that you sort of slid your feet on. And the person behind you, when you walked, you had to time it because you always had to take up the slack or it would look like one of those old horses in the in vaudeville where <laughs> the center is sagging. So you have to keep that tension on it all the time. So it was really fascinating, uncomfortable, as hot as you'd imagine, especially in the Hawaii right. humidity. And, and, the, and I had a trophy after I was done because I woke up the next morning and had trouble walking, and I looked, and my feet are size 13. And that clog must have been a size 9 because I had these crescent bruises in the center oh, of my foot. Wow. Ooh. Ooh. So that's, that's Man, when your feet hurt, they hurt bad like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, my yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, that's, that's something that is to be said because people are thinking puppeteers, okay, you're just dealing with this little, you know, you're you're inside this animal, there's no pain. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a lot of pain that you have to go through. Well, it made me, you know, as a kid, it made, sure made me understand a couple of things about puppeteers. I mean, they're like acrobats and dancers, which I was not. So, you know, I was able to, I mean, I couldn't have that and also if you've ever studied puppetry which was real a big interest of mine um try holding your hand up with a puppet on it for for 10 minutes you know what i mean it's like uh it's like hanging from hanging from a jungle gym for for five ten minutes you know it, it, mm-hmm. it takes quite quite a lot of uh discipline and stamina and you know i learned that real quick that these guys were not just you know like us you know all of us just uh, loving the stuff they they actually were you know Worked out and, and had all of the they all were, of their yeah. most yeah, and, and de- devoted not to, to their craft. The, lo- the um, the, the level of patience behind it as well too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I always loved puppetry, and one thing that you know I did try to study puppetry, and you're right, you know, mm-hmm. just and I try to do magic tricks, you know, just mm-hmm. to do. And I have some great magic tricks, and I, you know, I I, I learn to maneuver my little puppet. Mhm. I and that's the stuff I want to get into again, you know. And it it is hard work. It's not just a matter of putting something on your hand and saying mm-hmm. it's not yep. just that. It's, a lot of work. Magic? No. It <laughs> People are like, no, the magic trick will do the work. No, the magic trick doesn't do the work. The person does the work. Exactly. <laughs> you manipulate, yeah. you know, and everybody thinks, like, everybody can make a joke on stage. Okay, do a joke on stage. They're going to bomb. <laughs> we bomb. Yep. No, I mean, yep. still, but, it, but if you bomb, yeah. it, it's still, it's all part of the experience. I mean, exactly. Let let's we forget the perfect, you know, perfect one-liner is guy walks into a bar. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love the short. I love the short and sweet ones. You're you're man after my own heart. My my, one of my recent favorites are a dyslexic walks into a bra. I've never heard that one before. That is great. That's a good one. <laughs> I'll tell Dyslexic you, um, favorite talk- word is Bob. Say that again. Dyslexic favorite word is Bob. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a funny story, you know, we're talking about puppets, and I'll bring it back to horror a little bit. I had the, the privilege of going with some friends, including Tom Savini, to the Magic Castle here. He's a member of the Magic Castle. And uh, we went to, for dinner, and you, you go to a show. It's, a, it's an incredible place. I mean, it's, you know, it's really whimsical, and it's just so it's magic in it in and of itself, just the, the space. But, you know, we went to the main show. There's incredible magicians. And then puppets. And Tom was sort of like, puppets. I said, you know, Tom, I love puppets. And I'll tell you, by the, end of the, by the end of that routine, he and I looked at each other and we were in tears. It was so beautiful. And we talked about it. I mean, it really had an impact on us. And, uh, you know, it, it really made me, made me happy because Tom, you know, Tom was a little skeptical, but he loved it. And um, the puppeteer, you can, you can find him on um, Facebook. His name is Land, Scott Land. He's really talented. And his wife, Lisa Land. They're really, really fun. They teach classes. And he, he's old school marionettes and, you know, magical things. And it was just, uh, it was great. Yes. I'll recommend him to be on the show because I love puppet chairs. I oh, try. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, just just reach out to them too. They're very accessible through Facebook, and we're friends. And and Lisa's really really funny. At um, she she comes up with some great names for these these <laughs> naming these bands and these funny pictures. So they're, they're everybody's out there for sure. They they'd be great on your show. Yeah, I, I remember how I watched Run in Circles. Um, you know, the Magic Castle actually ties into the Manson story. Yeah, that's, really? that's another thing I was wow. to mention. Um, Joe, you were invited to the Magic Castle. That's very uh-huh. few invites. That's yeah, what I, I mean, heard. You know, if you know, you know, you a lot of people know somebody. It's not it's not that exclusive that that. Um, people, you know, people that have friends, especially in the genre or whatever, you, you probably know somebody that's a member just don't know it. So if you put it out there that you want to go, uh, people can give you a ticket to go. Tom just happened to be a to be a member, you know, and and I have some other friends that are. I don't go that often, but it's always just a it's just such a great night. It's always memorable and fun, and you know, and uh, really the best of the best are there. I mean, you definitely can't go wrong with that. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, man, Joe, you never disappoint, man. You you are without a doubt. Honestly, even just talking to you on Facebook, I mean, one thing that can be said about you, and I'm going to give you a huge compliment. You are probably, without a doubt, the most humblest person and all your success. Everybody can listen to what you've accomplished in your life. You've accomplished so much, and you're just so humble about it. And you're not that kind of person that says, oh, yeah, you're beneath me. No, you're that person that says, I want to build you up. I want to help you. I want everybody to come along. I mean, I look, you know, I'm one of those travelers. If I'm, you know, I've, I did a lot of work, you know, about 10, 15 years ago in Asia, working on theme parks and things. I was there, a, 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 and I'm the kind of traveler, I'm not a loner. 
I'm the kind of traveler, if I see something great, I turn to my right and I go, can you book? And there's nobody there. I'm disappointed. So all of these stories and everything I've done, I know there's things that other, other people just like me who love the stuff I love, who feel the same way I do, who, who gain so much inspiration and happiness and possibility from, from the stuff that we love. I know that every single one of us would love to be there for this. So when I tell these stories, it's really, really my biggest joy is bringing people along in them. So it is selfish. I really wish that I could get in a time machine and these things, rather than talking about these things, a hundred of us could just get in a time machine, go back, and we could all have that together, you know, because it's, you know, the, the way that it changes and shapes your life and the way that it really makes you feel connected to this thing. You know, when we grow up, we feel so outside especially us monster and horror fans we feel like such outsiders and we feel you know you talk to all the biggest of them whether you talk to Guillermo del Toro or Steven Spielberg whoever you want to talk to big or small they all say the same thing I thought I was the only one and then there's that moment in your life where you realize there's people like you and for some people Mm -hmm. that's conventions and for some people that's a, a book club for some people that's you know um going to a movie and meeting people, you know, or, or, or getting to work on independent film and we, we find each other somehow, but there's always that point in our lives where the thing we love is so specialized that we just, we're not sure there's anybody else in the world who, who's, you know, who's there for us. And when we meet each other, you know, it's, it's the big bang and, and suddenly all of that desire and, and ambition and hope turns into possibility. And what I, I definitely agree with you. Um, like, he, I, I grew up in, well, Chuck, you and I, South Carolina, not many things roll around in South Carolina, you know. And I came to California, and I went to my first convention, and it was a horror convention, and it was packed. There were people everywhere. And people are like, mm-hmm. Nick, can I take a photo with you? Nick, can you sign this? Nick, Nick, you know? And mm-hmm. yep. that's exactly, the horror nation is a, 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 a club in their own. Like, just like what you said, you know, I'm not the only one. No, there's millions of people out there. And that's and why they do horror together. conventions. Mm-hmm. I love them. And, and you know what else? The, the biggest and the smallest fans, at some point, when the stuff when the stuff we love is in front of us, we all are reduced to the same person. Because even at the 4E convention in Crystal City, and I don't know if it was 85, way back when, um, I remember watching a panel with, with, uh, with Joe Dante, John Landis, 4E Ackerman, Ray Bradbury, um, wow. up there talking about movies. And then when that panel was over, Somebody got the bright idea to have Forey sing some songs. There was a piano up there. So a pianist came up and Forey started singing songs. And I looked to my left, and there's Bradbury, Landis, and, and Dante, cross-legged with the rest of us, sitting on the floor watching. So we, wow. you know, everybody maintains this fandom where, you know, and, and Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, he, he's so proud to be a fan, so proud of her. Wow. You know, it, it, um, it's really a special community, and I feel very lucky to be part of it. And if I succeed at what I do, then I'm, I'm bringing something to the fans and contributing something that will, will uh, stoke their imagination. If I don't, 
but I cause someone else to do it, then I get to sit in the audience and, and clap. So it's a win-win for everybody, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, yep, it is. No. I, and, think, and I, I mean, think you hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you know, I, 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 I look at it like this. At the end of the day, no matter how much we always put into our own craft, we can still admire and appreciate the you know the steps that we took that that got us to this point. And if we could turn you know and look back and you know help the next person to get up to our level or even to exceed our our own expectations, you know mm-hmm. that's one of the perfect rewards right there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Another thing I wanted to just point out, we were talking about puppeteers and, you know, going up on mm-hmm. stage and telling a few jokes and all that. But everybody can say, oh, okay, I'm going to write a book. Okay, mm-hmm. well, sit down and write a book. Yep. Nine out of ten people, they think it's so easy. Okay, I just type on the keyboard and I got a book. And people are going right. to think, if I send it to a publisher, they're going to publish it. No, right. Good luck. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you know, and then there's the people. There's the people who are afraid because they don't they don't know what path to take. And that's where people like Nicholas come in. And that's where I hope I can you know I can help too. Well, you know, we get these people that have great ideas that maybe have never put it into the format that they're that they're dreaming of. And when there's supportive people like we try to be standing there saying, hey, we may not be. Ernest Hemingway, you know, there's always someone better, but, you know, by, by standards, by, by popular standards, there's always someone better and always someone not as good. But we do what we do, and if we have more experience than we're there to at least give you the benefit of what we've learned. And, you know, maybe, maybe hopefully you'll exceed even, you know, our experience when you, when you start making stuff. But the main thing is, is that we all prevent each other from making the mistakes that we've already made for you. You know, we, I'm sure Nicholas can tell the stories of, of, you know, as a writer of the things that he, he, you know, missteps he'd made that he can prevent you from oh, making. Yeah. And I'm sure I can tell you some of the, the, the problems I had with, with, with my stories and, and with, with not understanding how to accept criticism or whatever it is we're talking about. You know, if we can save each other the trouble of repeating mistakes and if we can help each other to realize the best version of what it is we're trying to make, then it's not so scary anymore. And everybody has a story and everybody has potential to get it out there, you know? You just And, and I, I will tell you, before Nick and I, we started dating, we were talking about my little book of werewolf that when I was in South Carolina and everything, and he gave me great advice. He's like, think of writing as if you're painting a portrait. What do you want the audience to see? I was like, oh, okay. That's great. Mm-hmm. Very and, he and very said, emotional. Yeah, and only talk about, only put in the book what you what you know. Don't add something that you don't know because if you know if you don't know what you're talking about, the audience is gonna know. Well, that's that's yeah, right. That's, it'll be obvious. Try to yeah. tell the truth. Write what you know. The character would, yeah. Try to tell the truth or the truth that the character would tell, even if you're not comfortable yet exposing yourself. But you know, it's it's really 
it's really such a fun thing to do. And the fact is, the one thing, I, the one piece of advice I would give people who are just starting, and I hope if you're thinking about it, and after we we've talked to each other tonight, uh, any of your audience wants to give it a shot, just remember criticism is really important, and you're being able to accept it is important. However, it has to be meaningful. That means it can't just. It, you've got to pick your critics. You've got to pick people who care that you that you do a good job, because everybody's going to have an opinion. You know, grandpa's going to have exactly. an opinion. Exactly. Most people are going to mm-hmm. want to help. You know, most people are going to want to help, but not everybody's qualified to help. And some people are going to going to hurt your feelings uh, in ways that don't benefit your progress. So just, you know, I always preach: take criticism, use what you want, throw away what you don't. But it's still a painful process if if you let people who don't have your best interests in mind trash your stuff. So you got to be, you know, be proud, let people see it, and you know, don't let anybody challenge your vision or your story. Let them challenge the writing of it, and let them tell you if they if if they have questions about what you're doing, or if if you tell them that you're trying to do something and they didn't find it successful, that's helpful. But don't let anybody touch your vision and your story. Just let them touch the the telling of it, if it helps you. You know what I mean? Nice. That was nice. that was that's, actually that's very well excellent. said. Yes. I wish I wish on my soundboard I had an audience clapping because that deserved a standing ovation. Honestly. Well, I, hope, I hope instead of clapping, instead of clapping, maybe there's a whole bunch of keyboards clicking. That would make me really happy. <laughs> that, that would be a perfect thing. There you go. I, I heard a keyboard. <laughs> Yay. Write something. Write something. You can make something sure, out of nothing. It's like making a tree, a tree out of water and air. You can make you can make a story that changes the world. You can do it. Make something out of fact, nothing. It's all yours. Yeah. No one can stop you. So that, in fact... Here's a little something for the audience. Um, Every time that I have people ask me how to write good horror, I would say, you know, here's the perfect writing prompt to fill in the blank. So for the audience members, if if you're trying to look for ideas for a story, try this out. You're sitting in your home by yourself. You go to turn the TV on, and as soon as you grab the remote, you hear somebody sneeze from the bedroom five feet away from you. (laughs) <laughs> that, 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 that'll do it See, that's great That's great inspiration And Forey used to love those uh, You know, the shortest stories in the world He, he loved that Forey actually, I think, wrote the sto- shortest story in the world um, I think it was published in seven different languages And uh, I think he made something like $5,000 It was just one letter of the alphabet It was, uh, the, the, the story was called Cosmic Report Card Earth And the story was F that was it. Oh yeah, I remember that. And uh, he, he did so well with that, he he trademarked all the other letters of the alphabet. He told me so. <laughs> but still, I mean that, that's what, that, that's one what, what of the greatest short stories, though. It really is from out of out of all of his writings. Yeah, it, it, it's famous. You know, he he was very proud of it, and uh, you know you know uh, he liked those. You know, in your vein of, uh, in the vein of these scary ideas, you know, just just the short story that Pori used to love uh, to tell people. You know, so I think it's it's something they have a competition. I think they still have them where you write the shortest, 
one sentence story you can, and this one was just, he was the last man on earth. There was a knock at the door, you know? So there's, you know, you can start from a seed of nothing, create great atmosphere, suspense, and, and what if, and you can just carry that with you forward into a fully fleshed out, you know, story. You can use your mm-hmm. imagination. Sky's the limit. No lim- Actually, no limitations. The sky is not even a limitation. You can go wherever you want, whatever world you want to be in. And, you know, tell whatever story, story makes your, you know, makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, okay, it. everyone. The not, not me- over until you decide it. Mm-hmm. We are about to be cut off with Blog Talk Radio. That British woman is going to say your show ends now, and then we're going to be cut off. But uh, before we do that, um, Joe, where can we find you? Just come, just come get me at um, Facebook, Joe Mo at Facebook. Um, my Instagram is uh, Joe P Mo. Um, that's fun to look at because I have a lot of items that I work with at the auction house. There's a lot of props and memorabilia and fun stuff. But Facebook is where I am. Um, it's I don't have any restrictions on it. You can comment on the page even if I can't. I don't have enough space to, to make you a friend, although there's always a few people dropping out, and I'll do my best so that we can all be together. But um, you can comment and you can private message me, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm not, you know, I've, I've got a, my day job and everything, but I – I always make time if you if I can help you move forward, you know, new writers moving forward or you know, people that just want to talk about, about horror or I'm particularly good with, with people, you know with with anxiety and, and people that, you know, have trouble, you know, reaching out. I'm I'm very, very empathetic and very good about that. So, um you know, at shows or on my social media I'm always, you know, there to be a supportive you know, friend in a in a you know a sympathetic ear. So that's where you, that's where you'll find me. Yeah, fantastic. I I am going to give you a new title. Um, I gave Matthew Ewald the uh, nicest guy in horror and sci-fi. That's what the twin said. You got to add sci-fi. So you are the nicest guy ever. Oh wow! Without a doubt. <laughs> I you you are. Yeah. I mean, you 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 are. You're outgoing. You're you're nice, and, and you do respond. And that's what people's got to realize. If you go on Joe Mo's uh, Facebook page, he will. That's him. That he's not paying anybody yeah. to do that. Nope. That is one hundred percent him. I, I, I'm not famous. I'm just busy, so I'm all I'm available. <laughs> oh no, you're famous. You're famous. Come on, you got over five thousand friends. I mean, come on. You, you, you. Well, that's true. I'm, I'm I'm famous with my family. I appreciate that. But but yeah, the more the merrier. And, 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 and on it, see, he's so humble. Come on, you got And you're you're gonna call in for Chuck uh, next Sunday. Yes. Absolutely, I wouldn't miss it. It'll be fun. Awesome. Nice. I'm sure Chuck, will, Chuck will have Chuck will have written two more books and released another three albums, and, and I got to keep up. <laughs> Dude, you, you're running behind, Joe. You're running behind. <laughs> and Nicholas, Nicholas and I are going to team up. With, Nicholas and I have more in store for you too, all of you writers out there. Nicholas, keeps yeah, the uh, on Nick, me. are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, there he is. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Nick. I agree. I, mean, with that. I agree with that. You're so badass. He's so cute. Okay, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> He's got such cute. Yeah, fancy. Yes, Nickerdoodle. I mean, uh, yes, Nicholas Gerbowski. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, Joe and I were talking a few weeks ago about it, so we're uh, getting back into this uh, Days of the Dead thing. Mhm. So Watch that's that's going to be neat. It is. Uh, awesome. We got to we got to talk more, Joe, about the whys and wherefores and uh, start dates and publicity, all that jazz. Okay. So well, we just finished the show in Indianapolis, so um, we've got Atlanta and Vegas coming up, so we definitely talk. Ah, okay. Okay. And, uh, that sounds just, groovy. Just two more things I want to talk about before we hang up. Uh, Tom, you want to explain about your nuts? Oh, uh, I, was, I was talking to William and Francie or before the show. I moved from the living room so I wouldn't, you know, make any noise. You know, my wife was watching the Home and Garbage channel, and uh, I laid I laid down on my bed just to just to relax, kick back, and all that, and my. 20 pound cat Tigger jumped on my crotch. So it just, uh, yeah, it wasn't Tom comfortable. Tom was whistling Dixie. That, uh, that, that was our comfort. Let's put it this way. I, I sure did, uh, that's a, that's a, I sure did the out of me real quick. <laughs> Talk about a gas. I was like, oh. Yep. He was insane. That, yeah, right. and, go ahead, Tom. No, it was just a, it was just a, a surprise. Let's put it that way, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. And not a good one. Yeah, yeah. He he had he to uh, do that, go but... ice himself. Now, you guys, I'm on the yes. phone with a bunch of men. William, where were you doing all this when we were doing the conference call? <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm, I'm going to chalk this up to uh, another case of uh, Francie not paying attention to the time zone difference. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Mo monologuing. I was blah blah blahing. I was so excited to talk to you guys. Oh yeah, yeah. So in this case. Um, I was literally just stepping into the restroom because uh, I, I normally had to keep my phone uh, down low late at night because uh, my wife works the morning shift, and so she'll be getting up at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning to uh, get, get ready for work. So I get as far as turning the door, and the phone rang. So I'm like, hello? It's like, hey, are we ready for the show tonight? I'm like, yeah, we're, 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 we're ready. I'm, I'm just getting ready to go into the restroom. Okay, well, get Tom on the phone. No, I don't need help on this. No, we need to go over some things to talk about with Joe. I'm like, yeah. Can it wait? <laughs> like five minutes? <laughs> there we go. So Tom gets his nuts smashed and Liam's on the toilet. Yeah. I need a girl on the show. I need a girl. <laughs> So, no, no, like no, free show prep work. 
conference call. Bill William was literally on the, you know, Throne. <laughs> the conference chair, and uh, Tom got his ball smashed. It was a great call. Yeah. I'm just really so glad that this wasn't a Zoom conference. Otherwise, it would have really made things a lot more awkward. Oh, my gosh. We need to do oh. that and do it live. All right. We're about to be cut off from Block Talk Radio. Would have been so I just wanted you to hear the pain I went through to get oh. this show going. It was so much you fun, are guys. Fantastic. I'm you're well, Bill, great. Uh, it was it was great chatting with you great again. Show. You know, yeah, anytime, uh, you guys. It's so great to be able to tell good stories to to people that appreciate them. I really, really, am grateful for that. And you know, I love you guys, and I'll hopefully see you in person before long. Well, well, you know, whenever we're doing a show in the future, and you say, "Oh, I want to talk to this person," please don't mm-hmm. hesitate to call in because we're all we okay. will always take your call. And when you got okay. something going on, you can say, hey, I want to be on the show. We'll okay, do the show. Sure. It'll probably be with Nicholas. We'll, we'll probably be doing our thing, but that'll be a great one. Not okay. really. Yeah, even if it's not on a Sunday night, we can do it any day of the week. So oh. don't you know. say. Well. That's perfect so right there. Definitely keep me posted. And I would like to say uh, also a special good night to Matthew Peake. He is at his job tonight, and that's why he did not call in. Well, hopefully I'll just talk to him you know, off air sometime. I'm there if he wants yeah. to. He's right near doing anything if I can help. All right. And uh, right. it's actually Matt Peake. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna end this in the classic, so she won't just cut us off. That British woman. Um. All right, here we go. Hello again. Hey, everyone's playing together right now. <laughs> Look, there they are. <laughs> Whoa, 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 stop, stop, Luna, we can't play if you bite Koopa, we don't ever want to bite our friends, don't, don't, don't bite your friends, don't, Yes, yes.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.